Yes. On the Top Football Club channel presented by the Football Tonight podcast. We are recording this on Sunday, October 22nd. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, the United's battle in Sheffield and United and Manchester. Arsenal draw luckily against a plucky Chelsea. And we report from the Laurent side piece derby. But first, we say goodbye to the great and powerful Bobby Charlton. But before we get into that, please like, share, and subscribe the show. Subscribe everywhere we are. Subscribe where we're not. Find the Top Football Club channel. Subscribe to Chris's show. Subscribe to our La Liga shows. Subscribe to our Italia football shows. We're covering everything on Top Football Club. And please subscribe to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast wherever you find podcasts because we are there. And now we return to the great and powerful Sir Bobby Charlton. Okay, why is this old man important? So Sir Bobby Charlton, if you don't know who he is, is a footballing legend in England, quite possibly the greatest English player ever, along with probably Dixie Dean of Everton years. But Bobby Charlton survives in the modern era as a player who won the World Cup in 66, won the European Cup with Manchester United in 1968, famously of the Busby Babes from the 50s and the it's one of the survivors of the world-famous Munich air disaster in 1958 where Manchester United lost 80% of their team uh, in a plane crash. He survived and carried that legacy of Manchester United with that club. I recently read an article about the importance of the Busby Babes, of Manchester United, of Nobby Styles of that collective group of players and what that air disaster meant for Manchester United. It has been said that it is actually the fire and forge of modern Manchester United. That terrible event that took the lives of so many young men that Sir Bobby Charlton survived and became a symbol of Manchester United. He played 17 years with the club uh, and represented the club and carried that legacy and history through to Ferguson all the way through all the years, through Matt Busby, through the dark years, the 70s, he's around, but not really. And he is the person who embodies, in a way, what we want English football to be. Class, humble, dignity, hardworking, traditional English working class values with an aspiration to dignity. He carried himself with class, imparted that belief, idea, and culture through the club. He famously is on the board at United in 1986 when Ferguson comes in. And if you don't know this, the first three or four years for Ferguson were hard. He was very close to being fired. But it's Sir Bobby Charlton, who sticks up for Ferguson, seeing that there's a process in place, recognizing the Busby charm that will go through United, recognizing that he wants to bring youth through. Famously, uh, Bobby Charlton was with a 1950s group of players who won the FA Youth Cup three times. So he understood the power of youth, and he's part of the legacy that United, since the 50s, has had an academy player 
in the starting 11 nearly every game throughout their history. Now, 17 years straight of that was Bobby Charlton, but that does go on with 20 years of the Neville brothers, Beckham, Giggs, Scholes, all that runs through United. And Charlton is the embodiment of that. So what we're losing in Bobby Charlton and his arrival and being at every game and being indicative of what United means to football and to England, what we're losing is really a connectivity to a different time, to football as English people romantically view it, to a different time, to a different place, to post-war England, to rebuilding, to a wealthier time, a better time. Is it real? I don't know. But that is what he represents. He was a living totem and godlike figure in football. And he was among the 100 players of all time uh, in the FIFA 100. He's constantly referred to as England's greatest player. He's the Joe DiMaggio for English football, a player who's bigger than his stats, bigger than his stature. He represents the standard by which all players and footballing cultures should aspire to, especially in England. And he will be missed around Old Trafford. He died at 86 years old. Uh, when he retired, he held the England goal record that Rooney broke, and now that uh, Harry Kane has broken. He held the Manchester United goal-scoring record that Rooney also broke, so over 200 goals. So just a, a big player at the biggest club. He's the Di Stefano, uh, if you think about from a Madrista kind of way. He's the Di Stefano of of Manchester United, and um, we will miss him. And I think the stories over the next few weeks in the embodiment of your Nevilles, your Phil Nevilles, your Gary Nevilles, your Beckhams, your Scholeses, your your Schmeichels, that, that cohort of 90s United players who grew up with him and will carry on who he was through the media. Anyway, let's get to the games. The big game of the week, Chelsea 2, Arsenal 2. This was a very, very good game. I think yours truly has been saying that Chelsea were playing better than expected, and they should expect a result from this game. I think that they did play well. They did score. They did control the game. Cole Palmer was causing problems, and Chelsea just were disjointed in the first half especially, but the problems United have... Uh, the problems Chelsea have did come up again. They're not great finishers. They don't have a classic goal scorer. Cole Palmer was playing in a false nine position and wreaking havoc on uh, Arsenal. They really couldn't cope with it. They couldn't control the ball. They were not at their sharpest Arsenal. And the first half, you really felt like, wow, look at Chelsea. They're really doing this. Uh, I said on the on the Thursday t football tonight with Chris that I thought that that Chelsea could get something from this and that this game for Arsenal, drawing this game or losing it, it really makes the win against Manchester United City not mean as much. They looked very, very close to losing this game. Very, very close. Uh, until Sanchez, Robert Sanchez, the goalkeeper for um, Chelsea, who had been poor with his distribution, there was a reason Deserby got rid of him. Uh, he was more of Potter's keeper, and he just kept making mistakes. And in this game, he showed more. Uh, uh, out from the back, right to Declan Rice. He's off his line. Declan Rice, an amazing finish. But that goal really lights a fire under Arsenal, who really weren't doing anything. Um, Chelsea got their goal on a handball. 
You can argue about the handball. Mudrik onto Saliba's hand. It's out. These are the way we play it now. VAR, if they see your hand up and out, it's a penalty. Uh, I don't like it. I don't like VAR giving handball penalties. I hate them, but they're real, so we have to accept that. Uh, we've got comments. Let's see what we've got here. Good evening, New Lewis, Newcastle fan. Rest in peace. Sir Bobby was a Man United legend. That is correct. Thank you so much for showing up, Lewis, a Newcastle fan. Appreciate the time. Yeah, Sir Bobby was, but we're going through the Arsenal game uh, and the handball, and that handball really changed the game, uh, gave, gave Chelsea a lifeline, allowed them to be defensive, which is what they're good at, allowed them to control the game, which they're good at, uh, Arsenal couldn't really cope with them, especially in the first half. Then they got another goal on a fluke by um, Mudrich. He is looking for a cross. He puts, picks his head up, shoots it over, and he catches Rhea off his line, and we get a second goal. Uh, Mudrich is really happy with it. So Chelsea get their goal. They're cruising 2-0. It looks like they've got this game in the bag, but not so fast. Um, Arteta makes some changes, brings on Trussard, who made a difference, takes off Jorginho, who was not really helping. And from there, Arsenal were able to get some control, show their class. They do get the second goal on a really nice move from Trassard. Unfortunately, uh, Gusto unfortunately loses his man. Trassard at the back post on a really nice cross. And there we are. Chelsea get uh, Arsenal get their 2-2 draw uh, in what will feel like a loss. But this is a good point for both. For Chelsea, this is a show that the work they've been doing is valuable. It shows that the progress they're making is there, that they can pose problems, especially at home, and that there is something happening. Like, Cucurella looks like a player again. Uh, Caicedo had a better game. If you can't fall in love with Conor Gallagher, I don't know what's wrong with you. He may not be the best footballer, but he is committed. He gives heart. He gives passion. He gives give a shit. And that's why he's the captain of Chelsea. And now he's starting to show what he can do. And Enzo Fernandez is the class of that threesome in the midfield who can do the move the ball the way he wants to. And Raheem Sterling doing his thing as well. So... Things are looking better for Chelsea. For Arsenal, they can say, hey, we were down, we weren't playing our pass, and we came to Stamford Bridge and got a point. Wow, good for us. Uh, another narrative out of this game was goalkeeping. Um, Sanchez, eh, he's at fault for the goal. Raya, still not easy. It, a little flappy on the, on the Mudrik cross. So just giving off, it's more of a vibes thing. You can make a mistake, but do you look in control in goal and i think between sanchez and raya neither of them are completely in control of those games i think the question for chelsea is wasn't keppa if keppa is good enough for real madrid why don't you immediately keep him i don't understand that you know i mean real madrid are first in the liga and they have keppa in goal i'm just saying maybe he's good uh and then on the other side you know Raya is going to have the Ramsdale comparison because he's not significantly better than Ramsdale and he's not playing great. So it just gives more fuel to the fire of where things are there. But a really good game all in all. Very enjoyable, very fun. The kind of game we want from the Premier League. A kind of game where we want to see strength in Chelsea. We want to see all the power going on there and just enjoy their growth and where they are. I really like what I'm seeing from Chelsea. I've always liked Pochettino, and I think it was unfair for where Chelsea were 
to sort of say, hey, they're they're not going to be good. But when in fact they have turned things around, they are moving in the right direction. The team is working. Uh, the only issue I see is they've got to find a replacement for Thiago Silva. He really looked ragged at the end there. They look much better in a back four with Caldwell next to him. Um, Justo looks good at fullback. I mean, those are their backup fullbacks, Gusto and Mark Cucurella, when they have Reese James and um, and your man. Oh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, Caldwell. No. Oh, I don't. It doesn't matter. Um, they'll they'll be in better shape. What? Why can't I remember his name? Ben something or other. Ben Chilwell. Sorry. Ben Chilwell's in. Then they'll look better. But everything is looking better for Chelsea. They've got the right players in the right places. Palmer's making a difference, but they still need a striker. I think they'd rather have a real nine. And I think Broya will be that guy, hopefully, once Pochettino figures out he doesn't have any other options. He'll play Broya until Nkuku comes back and the whole thing will start to work. Uh, on the Arsenal side, I don't think the Jorginho thing is working. I don't think Declan Rice as an eight is working. I think probably if Arteta put his name to fire, put his put his hand a truth serum in him, he would rather have Declan Rice in the Jorginho role than have Havertz take that spot. But clearly that's not working yet. Uh, in the long run, I think that's what will have to happen. I think it's a shame that they don't play Partey enough. I still think Partey at the base uh, is a better option. Maybe they have to go 4-2-3-1 and sort of move instead of the three up front, maybe move it as a as a as a as a different growth there with Martin Odegaard in the middle as a 10. I'm not sure it's an idea. Uh, I'm trying to workshop it with um, Arteta, but we'll see how that goes. A good game overall. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, not too much in terms of anyone really dominant. First half, much more in Chelsea's half. They did all the work, uh, but second half was really about Arsenal pushing and trying to get the win. Quality, quality stuff and enjoyable stuff too. So uh, enjoyed that a lot. Um, in terms of importance, the next game we have to go to is the great and powerful Merseyside Derby where Liverpool won 2-0. They were the early game. Uh, Everton will feel hard done is that the right word i don't think they ever were going to win but there was another sort of consistency of calling in this game where ashley young got two yellows i think the first one probably wasn't a yellow the second one was absolutely a yellow but on the other side of it konate not getting called for anything he got one yellow then clearly does a pullback and doesn't get called i don't think that this is an unusual thing to see um where there's just a, the air of the narrative that Liverpool have been hard done is actually affecting the refereeing of the current game. Craig Pawson just didn't feel like he could send off Konate. That's clearly what happened. Uh, I think Klopp even knew it, took Konate off after the second yellow, after the non-call on the foul. Um, I think that that narrative of what's going on with PGMOL and the VAR call affected the referees in this game, and they simply did not want to penalize um, Konate again. I ultimately am for this because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I thought the same thing happened with Kovacic in the prior game where the referee said, I don't want it, this game to go down to 11 and he decided not to make the call. In this case, though, it's different because 
Everton were already down a man and you already sent someone off. So in this case, you would have made the game even. So I think in this case, the spectacle could have been improved if you had ruled the proper way and sent off Konate for the second yellow offense on the Beto pullback. It's it's tricky. I think that once we get some of these narratives calming down, I really hate um I really hate all this narrative around conspiracy theories and all this stuff. I don't think there's a conspiracy theory that would make them too smart. They're not smart enough to have conspiracy theories. We heard them on the microphones. The referees are not bright enough. It's not conspiracy. In La Liga, maybe. In the Premier League, I don't think so. There's too many teams. There's too many big clubs. There's too much money involved for them to be fixing games against other teams because some other team will get mad about their team getting fixed. So there's no way that they're doing that. Uh, on a game perspective, this was again about Mo Salah. Mo Salah with the penalty, scores a goal on a handball by Michael Keane. Um, no controversy there. Michael Keane is the worst defender. He's the kind of defender who gets your team relegated. I've said it before. I'll say it again. He will get you relegated. This is just what he does. Uh, he had come on for Harrison after the red card for Ashley Young in the second half. So they went to a more defensive group with five. And um, Michael Keane, of course, you're an extra defender. There's already someone covering the cross. Why are you sticking your hand out? Why are you walking like that? What is wrong with you? You have one job, and it's not to get penalized. But of course he does, because he's the worst defender on any team and will get your team relegated. I don't know what Sean Dyche sees in him. I don't know why he plays him. Every time he plays, he does something awful. I don't like Michael Keane, in case you haven't noticed. But this was a lopsided game where Liverpool just completely dominated. Um, but they were stifled. Uh, they couldn't convert chances. They were having a hard time. They did hit the bar. But eventually, the penalty eased the nerves. And then Salah got a late goal because that's what great players do. They score goals. Mo Salah is just an incredible player. I think I saw some stat where he's been involved in about 40% of all Liverpool goals over the last five years between goals and assists. He's just that incredible of a player. He's on seven and four in nine games, still averaging over a goal and an assist a game, which is, I think, the real measure of great players is when you're over one in goals and assists, you're affecting games like crazy. Uh, and like I said last week, Mo Salah is a player we should appreciate because players like him don't come along. He's an all-timer. He's a crack. He may be Liverpool's greatest player in the Premier League soon. Will he overtake Stevie G? Probably not because he's not English and he's not a scouser. But in terms of what he has meant to this club in this trophy-winning period under Klopp, he's as pivotal a figure as there is. Uh, I think that it's Van Dijk. Henderson, Allison, and Salah. Those would be, actually, it's Bobby. Bobby Firmino's in there, too. Those are indicative of the group. Um, as much as I don't like Henderson, he is a legacy of Liverpool that carried through the harder years to the Stevie G group and passed on to him. But now that he's gone, I think it's Salah who controls that. And the midfield being rebuilt is really, really good. Really, really exciting. Liverpool are great. They're definitely a contender. They're right there. Um, but still, games like this make you worry about them, especially they should be blowing they should be blowing Everton away at home. And they didn't, really, at the end of the day. But fair play to them. It's a derby. 
they get their win, they move on. This was more about controversies, consistencies of of um, refereeing, and how we get out of this Liverpool offside goal controversy VAR thing. Hopefully, this game will be enough to satiate Liverpool fans to feel like the world isn't against them anymore. But until then, they're still going to feel that. They're still going to be in that space. They're still going to want to feel it and and be in that one uh, for them. Um, I'm going to go to the love, the love machine derby. Uh, my beloved Brighton against my truly beloved Manchester City, 2-1. Uh, when I saw the lineup here, I saw that James Milner was going against Jeremy Doku, and I thought, this is not going to go well. <laughs> James Milner has had a hard time against tricky wingers for a really long time, as it is. And um, it, on seven, Doku just tortures uh, he and Gross to put the cross in. Gross is trying to help him out in the back line, but it's not really working enough. Uh, he came across just not enough there to stop uh, the cross from coming. Doku terrorizing him. Then... Cometh the man, cometh the hour. Uh, Alvarez puts one in, and City are off and running. Uh, Welbeck went out. My guy Ferguson came in. He really didn't get to affect the game. Then on 19, Erling Holland. So narrative for City is they're back. They're good. They're fine. First half, they get their two early goals. They're in control. Everything's fine. Brighton looked toast. Brighton looked cooked. Brighton looked like they can't get a hold of this game. And part of it, I think, is the starting lineup, honestly. Um you can't play James Milner on one side and Sully March on the other at fullback. That's going to get you murdered. And Foden and Doku just were relentless on the wings in the first half, controlling the game, attacking the back line at will, crossing balls in, and City could have been well out of sight early in this game. The first half is is all City. Brighton only had one shot. Uh, and it was an easy one that Matoma saved. But City are not as prolific as they have been. They only took four shots in the first half, two were goals, boom. Uh, second half was much, much better from uh, Brighton. They got more control of the game. Uh, subs coming on. Veltman for Milner, that was a big one, changed everything. Then Gilmore, Fatih coming on for Pedro and Belegaba, completely changed it. Gilmore... Really tried to affect the game. Uh, he did get ridden on one game where he just tried to tackle Holland and Holland bumped off him, um, but wasn't really able to get it. City almost scored. Then on the break the other way, they started to get a bit more end to end. Uh, Matoma uh, crosses one and, and Ansu Fati put it in. And so it was 2-1 game on. And that last 15 minutes was a little bit tougher for City. They had to deal with it. They had to fight through it. Uh, there were some bad Passes out from the back by Ortega. But overall, it was a good game, enjoyable game. I got what I wanted out of it. I felt good about City getting their two early goals. Like I said, City needs to get two early goals. They did. Uh, that worked. And then uh, I got to see Brighton do their Brighton thing and do much better. I think I have to say City have not been playing well. Uh, this was not a great full performance. They're not creating a lot of chances. They're not converting them as much, just, just 0.8 uh, XG to Brighton's 0.8 XG. This was an XG draw. <gasps> so um, not as much as we'd like to see, but Brighton can feel good about what happened in the second half. I wonder how many opportunities James Milner is going to have to play fullback anymore. I know they need depth, but that was really, really poor. I like what I saw from Igor. Uh, I didn't know who he was, of course. Why wouldn't Brighton just create guys out of whole cloth coming out of nowhere? 
who the hell is Igor? I don't know, but he showed up. I'm going to actually click on his name and see who the hell he is. Igor is Brazilian and he comes, oh, he came from Fiorentina. Oh, he's not too young. Uh, out of the Salzburg world, uh, played in City A for the last four or five years. A good young defender. Uh, they don't come by every day. So good for, um, good for Brighton and finding another one. Uh, I didn't like what I see from Jao Pedro. The front line for uh, Brighton didn't do as much. Adingra, not really there. Loved them all season, but a good game overall. City getting off the schneid. Another item for City to deal with is um, Akanji got a second yellow in the, at the end of the game, and he'll miss the Manchester derby. Uh, I don't worry about this so much for City because that if there's one place City have depth, it's at center back. I mean, Diaz didn't even play until the end of the game. Uh, so not really a big deal. One couple players I'd like to shout out for City. John Stones is just bloody incredible. He has no right to be as good as he is in the midfield. He was playing as an eight half the time. He was linking things together. He was everywhere. When he steps into the midfield, the team completely changes. Uh, they set up as a 3-5, a 3-2, a 3-2-4-1. I, would, I wouldn't call it that. I, it was more of a Four, three, three. It doesn't matter. Anyway, John Stones was in the midfield most of the game, uh, but when they needed to, he could drop into a four. Uh, just incredible performance by John Stones. He's so, so good. I recommend if you watch a City game and John Stones is playing, just watch him, especially in possession. He's just an incredible player. Dribbles, goes through people, never loses the ball, makes good passes between he and Rodri. There's just a level of control that City have in the midfield that they just didn't have the last few games. So incredible work there. But they're not creating enough. Uh, that is one concern I have for them. It's a much more defensive City at the moment, and it's not as high-flying and attacking as people think it might be. It's just a regular show. Um, so, um, yeah, just a regular show. Hey, Demetrius, let's see. Uh how do you start Milner against City? Yeah, how do you start Milner against City? Not a great uh, idea there by De Zerbi. Uh, he gave him a shot, took him out of halftime, but Doku terrorized him. And then on the other side, Solly March got terrorized by Foden. Uh, sadly, Solly March really did either his ankle or his knee. He may be uh, out for the season. Yeah, no De Bruyne is really hurting City's creativity. Not sure what they're supposed to do there, but interesting stuff nonetheless. City have been in without big players. So a uh, lot of good work from John Stones. Good to see him playing. And I believe that there's more games in the midweek. Wow. So we talked about City. We talked about the amazingness that is uh, Sir Robbie Charlton. We talked about Liverpool and their Manchester Derby. Let us talk about the United Derby uh, with Sheffield and Manchester United. Uh, Manchester United going to... Um, Hillsborough, is it Hillsborough? No, the other one. Um, and winning 2-1, McTominay scoring the goal again. Uh, another weird handball call. Whatever, we got to call him. Another penalty in the corner there. I'm not sure what you're supposed to do about all those things. But United win. They still are not playing well. They're still looking weird. Uh, they score on moments. Uh, Diego Dallo with a really nice goal at the edge of the box to pull the 2-1 game out. First 25, 30 minutes, Sheffield United will probably feel good about where they were, but ultimately United have too much class, even though they're funky. 
this is a funky team. It does not function the way you want it to. Um, but, but they do get the win. They do get the win. And it would have been a shame had they lost on the day of Bobby Charlton's death, but they did pull it out. So good for them. Uh, I, if I'm a United fan, I still don't feel good about where United are. They're still not really pulling up trees. They're not really stringing in performances. They lost the XG battle in this game. Very typical of United lately. Just not a great side. Um, not particularly playing well. Cameron Archer terrorized them, especially in the first 25 minutes where he was just getting on the end of things. Uh, United just didn't really pull things together until the last few minutes in the second half. Um, you know, McTominay gets his goal, which is thank God. But otherwise, the fact that it was pretty balanced against Sheffield United, a team that sold its two best players and hasn't bought any players, is still surprising. Uh, I think the narr another piece of narrative out of this game, which I think is good for United because they can finally just kind of let it go, is Harry Maguire played well and was man of the match. Um, I think they need him. Is he a Man United player? Whatever that means. No. If if that means no, he's not Nemanja Vidic. No, he's not Rio Ferdinand. No, he's not John O'Shea. No, he's not Gary Pallister. No, he's not any of the legendary central defenders that have come through Man United. But he's good enough for now. He's good enough for now especially with Varane hurt, especially with Lissandro Martinez hurt, especially with Lindelof being lightweight in central defense, having Harry Maguire there as cover is really good. And I think the way he's carried himself, surviving some of the abuse he's taken, surviving some of the abuse he's taken with England, surviving some of the abuse he's taken from me, I commend him and I want to give Harry Maguire his do honor and respect that you know this is a, a a top half level defender uh a bad defender on a good team on a great team but a good defender on a good team and i think that the more ten hog is pragmatic and lets harry Maguire play the better and i mean it is weird that they have to have johnny evans and harry Maguire in there i'm sure that was not the defense they drew up but that's the best they can do right now uh, Lindelof as a fullback is really bad, especially on that side. He can't use his left foot, so his crosses all have to come inside. There's a fly that keeps hitting my screen. It's driving me nuts. Um, <laughs> so I keep flinching. Um, but, um, yeah, United. I'm curious, United fans. How do you feel? How do you feel about this thing? It's such a weird team. They're just not good. They win, but they're not fluid. There's no connective tissue at all there's nothing that's stringing this thing together it just kind of goes and moves and happens and it's just weird um just bizarre just bizarre yeah i know <laughs> i i know i know it's you dima i know from our group i know who you are i can see your bald little head <laughs> so um uh we do move on uh to other games across the division uh, a game I'd like to call out, Newcastle. Man, did they put in their performance of the weekend. Looked strong, looked powerful, looked like they could have beat any team today. The idea that Jacob Murphy and 
Um, Trippier are the ones winning these games for you. Is crazy to me. Uh, they can bring in Almiron later. They always know that Callum Wilson is good for a goal, and he got one. Just Newcastle just wiped the floor with Crystal Palace, scoring three first-half goals, two in stoppage time. Sean Longstaff, the old boy, doing it for them. Just a really, really good performance. The first goal by Jacob Murphy is pure class. Volleyed cross from Trippier to Murphy, who dinks, who does a volley dink. Either it was a cross or a shot. VAR ruined the celebration. That's why I hate VAR. But Murphy gets another goal, gets another iconic moment. And Anthony Gordon got another one on a pass from Jacob Murphy. And then to end the game, Jacob Murphy on another one. So he gets two assists and a goal. This was the Jacob Murphy show. Just fantastic stuff. Rest of the players able to rest in the back half of the game. Uh, just a complete performance. And Newcastle starting to string together offense, now leading the league uh, in scoring, nearly in the top, top three in scoring. That plus eight they got against Sheffield United helped. But in terms of my nerd core, the underlying numbers for the great and powerful Newcastle are impressive. They are the form team. They are the team putting together performances that they are now the league leaders in XG plus minus. So that says to me, underlying numbers for Newcastle are through the roof. Um, plus nine on goal, plus five on goals, right in line with their expected goals against City right behind them. But Newcastle looking like the strongest team in a division. I think that that PSG game really gave them a lift. Uh, and that little blip they had against Liverpool and City feels like it's gone. Um, maybe they're not quite ready for the top big time. But if you come in there with some weak ass shit, Newcastle will stomp you, especially at um, especially at uh, St. James's Park. So really impressive week for Newcastle. Really happy for them. We've got a real league battle on our hands. It's not a joke. It's very goddamn serious. Uh, we're going to have an amazing season, an amazing league season that's coming up um, just over the moon with where we are in the division, in the league, in what's happening. Just more good stuff here and there. Um, let's see. Any other games I want to go to? Talk to United. Talk to Sheffield. Uh, talked Arsenal, um, talked United. Let's go to, to the relegation battle. Let's talk about our friends in Nottingham Forest who blew it at home. They're up to uh, with 85, with 15 minutes to go. And from 83 on, this game is all Luton. They let Luton back in. Two, two second half goals by Chris Wood put the tricky trees ahead. They have an almost three expected goals, but... The fighters, the fighting hatters of Luton Town get two goals away from home to level this game. This is a huge draw for Luton. They're not in the bottom three. I may have to revise where I am with my relegation battle. I think Luton are the one team out of the new teams that seems to know they're in a relegation battle. I don't think that Bournemouth know they're playing out from the back, making mistakes. I don't think Vincent Company knows he's in a relegation battle yet. He's got to figure out where he is. Luton Town of multiple promotions, multiple seasons, know who they are, know how they're going to play, respect the division, and are like, we're sitting deep and we're kicking long balls. Whereas Burnley and Bournemouth still trying to play uh, like they won the championship, not really realizing you're in the Premier League. Stop messing around. Uh, and Bournemouth and Burnley both lose badly. Uh, Bournemouth 
um, lose on a goalkeeping howler to the great and powerful Gary O'Neill and his massive Wolverhampton Wolves. Um, Neto is just a killer. Uh, another good goal by Huang. Uh, I mean, this from Cunha. I mean, just amazing stuff by Wolves and Gary O'Neill. Yes, there was a headbutt. Yes, there was a red card. But that was just stupidity by Bournemouth. And I think Iriola, even though they were up a goal, will start to feel the pressure of just like, hey, it's nine games in. You don't have a win. Um, Lewis Cook, just what are you doing, buddy? Uh, the goals were by Cunha and Kaladzic after the mistake by Neto. There was two Netos in this game. There's Neto, the goalkeeper for Bournemouth, who got the ball put in the Neto, and then Neto, the winger for Wolves, who was terrorizing again uh, with another assist uh, again. But uh, Bournemouth, really bad. Then Burnley, just getting killed by Brentford, getting hit on the break. Wissa and Buemo. And Buemo and Godot's goals were incredible. Wissa was just on the break. Normal stuff. Connor Roberts gets sent off for a second yellow. Uh, the one that they'll be kicking themselves for is Koleosho just coming off the bench, wide open net, goes with the wrong foot on the break, could have gotten Burnley back in the game, but they blow it. Uh, I'm not sure what Vincent Company is supposed to do. Uh, maybe he needs to get a bit more solid, maybe play five at the back, maybe really just embrace the counterattack. I'm not sure. Uh, Burnley are shipping goals. They are just awful right now. I think they're leading the league in goals allowed. Uh, it's not going well for Burnley. Yes, Sheffield United are on 24, Burnley on 23, and Bournemouth on 20. Shocking. The bottom three are all three teams that have given up the most goals. Sadly, Brighton United, Brighton are fourth in goals allowed, but they've scored 22. So getting, giving up a lot of goals does not help you. Um, so... Just relegation battle. Which one of those teams, Burnley, Bournemouth, or Sheffield United, is going to get pragmatic and stop messing around and start trying to win games? Luton already knows who they are. They're already pushing. Uh, I'm going to vote for Vincent Company because I love him, but who? what team falls into that relegation battle? I'm not sure. Uh, these teams have separated themselves. Burnley, Bournemouth, and Sheffield United already minus 15, minus 14, minus 17, respectively. So they're already the worst teams. Luton, Tiana, only minus nine. Been really keeping it tight, trying to be pragmatic about getting points, uh, and they do so today at Forest. That point might mean everything to them. Um, like I said, Brentford still battling. Burnley still got their one win, should have two. Maybe maybe it'll encourage Vincent Company to stick with where he's at. Bournemouth, I think Ariola is not long for the season. And then, of course, the great and powerful Gary O'Neill has got Wolves up in 12th. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. Where else can I go? I think that is it. I talked Luton. Amazing stuff by them. Chris Wood is about a professional, um, a goal scorer as you can have on your team, especially if you're in a relegation battle. You couldn't ask for a better striker than Chris Wood, so that's good. Um, Luton Town fighting, fighting as a group, a unit. They have each other's back. I like what they're doing. Brentford surviving when Wisa and, and Buemo are going. They score. They're in good shape. They still have that solid strength after that bad loss against United. Uh, Burnley, defensively, all sorts of problems all over the place. And then Bournemouth, <sighs> Gary O'Neill kept them up. They were the weakest of the teams. They didn't really add that much. Tyler Adams was supposed to shore up their midfield, but he's been hurt. And so they don't really have any reinforcements. And if Iriola insists on playing out from the back, 
that he's going to be playing himself out from the back of a van when he gets fired from his job and someone pragmatic comes in. Now, Sunday, 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 we had Aston Villa 4, West Ham 1. The Unai Emery revolution rolls on, and David Moyes just gets stomped at home. Aston Villa are just flying right now, uh, 11 in a row at home, Not a, will not lose anymore. Douglas Luiz with two more goals, already broke his record of five goals for the season. Ollie Watkins gets one. He's on six and four in terms of uh, assists and goals. And then Leon Bailey gets one. Jaron Bowood pulled one back. There was a moment here where this game was close. Uh, it was 1-0 going into the half, but second half, all Villa, all the time, just powered through. Outclass David Moyes in every way. Just not able to do enough, uh, the Moyes team. You know, Paqueta's there, Bowen's there, James Ward-Prowse. I think there are limitations to Moyes. Uh, he's not going to beat more tactical, creative managers. He's just not. He'll always lose these games. That's why his record against the top six is always so bad, because he grinds out wins against people in and around him and worse. But if he has to go against better teams, Moyes doesn't really have different ways to play. And so when he goes against someone like Unai Emery, who's creative and his team is grooved and they can do their own thing, he's just not the manager to do that. He's just going to get it off. He's going to blow it. He's going to... Um, <laughs> Yes, Laurent is live. Uh, he's just going to have problems and just not make it happen. He's just a clown. So Moyes, good for certain teams, good for certain things, not good for everything. Fine for West Ham, but Unai Emery's always going to beat him. And West Ham, I mean, and uh, uh, Aston Villa now in the top scorers in the division. They're also up there in goals scored. It's been a really, really tight division that's getting even better. We'll find out even more. After Tottenham plays later today, uh, tomorrow on Monday, I'm I, I'm aware, I'm aware, Dimi, Dima, Dimitri, whatever your name is, uh, I'm aware of who you are, my friend. Uh, <laughs> um, so just getting better all the time, just cranking out wins for Aston Villa. It continues; they never stop. Unai Emery is just a pure legend. Right now, I believe Aston Villa are second in goals scored behind Newcastle on 24. So it's very packed at the top. Right now we have City on 21 ahead of Arsenal by goal difference with Liverpool and Tottenham on 20. Liverpool, Tottenham still have to play. Then Villa on 19. Then there's a gap into sixth with Newcastle and Brighton on 16. United on 15. West Ham on 14. Uh, Chelsea back in the top 10 on 12. It's starting to separate a little bit. Your top 10 is already is City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, Villa, Newcastle, Brighton, United, and West Ham. That literally could end up being the top 10 when the season finishes. It looks sort of like the narrative and the combatants are sort of slotting into their places as we go game after game after game. Uh, I could see Chelsea pushing up. Uh, I could see Brighton maybe not having as good a season, but this looks like what it's going to look like. So we're really getting there very, very quickly uh, what the league is going to look like, what the score is going to look like, and what 
we are seeing in the division. Okay. All right. I don't have anything else. Here's what I'm going to say. Don't complain about refereeing decisions. It's boring and nobody cares. It's not a conspiracy against your team. They're too stupid to have a conspiracy against your team. They don't care about you or your team. They're just trying to mess up games on a game-by-game -game basis, okay? Take it easy. All right. I'm going to check out of this one. Uh, we covered the Premier League. Uh, we will have Champions League games and then check in uh, for football tonight, tomorrow, where Chris and I will do a little bit more. We'll talk a bit more in detail in certain games, and we'll get Chris's perspective on the games. Okay. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with Laurent Cortines. We are the Premier League wing of the Top Football Club YouTube channel and presented exclusively by the Football Tonight podcast. We record on Sundays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Please like, share, and subscribe. It means everything to us, and thank you, and I'll see you tomorrow with Chris.